So today, as part of our podcast show, which is powered by Upsa Global, we have the honor to interview a group of sports performance experts today. So, so first, we have Marco Nunez, who's the former head athletic trainer for the LA Lakers. So hi, welcome, Marco, uh, oh, to yeah. the show. Thank Great. You. So and then, yep. So then we have Pierre Barrio, who's the FIFA high performance expert and director of high performance at Toronto FC, a top MLS team. Hi, Pierre. Hi, everybody. Great. And then we have Alexi uh, Pianosi with the strength and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the top NHL team. So, guys, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Great. So uh, what I wanted to talk about today was first talk about load management. It's, it's a really big topic these days. Uh, and then we'll cover the, the biggest challenges on, a, on your daily basis uh, for you guys to do your job. And then we'll talk about the biggest problem that you guys see with technologies in general. And then we'll talk about mental health, uh, as well as your favorite technologies. How does it sound? Good. good. Okay, great. So let's start by talking about, obviously, load management, right? I think that has become one of the most talked about topics. Uh, you know, there was a big controversy years ago with Kawhi Leonard in the NBA when he was playing for the San Antonio Spurs. And it's still, I think, a major topic these days, right, in the world of elite sports. So uh, how important is load management to you guys and why? So who wants to get started on that? And it's funny that you kind of bring up Ka Kawhi Leonard um, several years ago. That's when the word load management kind of came out and, and became very popular. Um, unfortunately, no one really knew what load management meant, you know, restricting minutes, restricting time on the court and the ice and the field. Uh, that was kind of referred refer to as load management. And even now, people are sort of trying to kind of figure out what is load management. You know, yeah. uh, back then, as far as in the NBA, Load management will just kind of restrict them. We're going to restrict this person to 15 minutes as they're coming back from an injury. Next game, we'll allow them to load to about, you know, 17 minutes, then 20 minutes, and then slowly increase the minutes. But the question was, like, how are you determining that? And that's one thing that's always been kind of um, interesting for me. It's like, what are you using? What metric are you using to measure and determine, hey, this athlete's able to load for 15 minutes for the first game back, then 20, then 25, then 30, type, 30 minutes type of thing. And then at one point, if they do regress to you, bring back the minutes. You know, it's one of the things that I've never ever seen anybody re, um, regress in the minutes or back up on the minutes, so to speak, either they shut them down or anything like that. Um, but load management, you know, it, it is very vital as far as, as you're progressing through the season. One of the frustrating parts about it is, and I hate to say this, I know we're recording this, is that sometimes the league interferes with how you kind of play load management, even in the NBA. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's gotten to the point where you can sit a player or manage their load as long as it's not a nationally televised game, which is why I find very, very interesting how the league wow. has to kind of play into that. Um, so as long as, as long as if it's not an ESPN game or national televised game, yeah, you can implement load management. So even if you set a schedule off for the season and say, hey, the, you know, this player, we're going to start load management this game. Oh, wait a minute. This is an ESPN national game. We can now. We got to move stuff around. Um, yeah. And, and I get it. It's, at the end of the day, it comes down to money. Uh, that, that's the interesting part about it. That makes sense. Uh, wants to go next? Maybe Alexi, do you want to give your take from a uh, sure. hockey perspective? Yeah, in the NHL, you know, the, the, the arguably the hardest parts of the games, and then the travels. You know, we we play back to back nights sometimes. We're moving between time zones. And those are things you can't really change. You can't really control those. You're always going to have to play. You're always going to have to, uh, you know, travel to the next destination. And the idea of sort of taking games off has never really taken root or, or hold in the NHL. So from our perspective, managing load comes down to, okay, when you take those things aside, 
what are you left with? Then you're left with practices. You know, you, then you're left with workouts. Then you're left with, um, you know, there's a, the idea of the morning skate in, in, uh, in hockey, similar to a shoot around in basketball, where you go on the ice for 15, 20 minutes, do some low intensity work just to kind of get warmed up in the morning. Do you take that off? So the idea around load management hasn't been quite as pervasive, but, you know, trying to get as much control recovery, um, you know, uh, alteration of the autonomic ner nervous system when necessary, things like that you kind of have to find a way to fit it into only those windows of practices, workouts, and then, you know, augmenting days off or recovery modalities, treatment modalities, nutrition, things like that. So I think the load management question in hockey right now is less focused on the games and more focused on away from the games. What can we do? And the really challenging thing is, you know, like any team sport coaches want to have the whole team together. So it's hard to, you know, if you have 18 players who need to practice today and two players who really shouldn't practice, it's hard for those two guys to, you know, sit out, sit out team practice, especially when they're an important part of the offense or the defense or the strategy. So finding a way to individualize in a team sport when it comes to load management, I think has always been a big challenge and finding, you know, small ways to get a little bit of 1% or 2% here and there is kind of the most uh, common methodology, I think, in the NHL right now. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, Pierre, do you want to give your take on load management from a soccer perspective? Sure, sure. I mean, again, I think soccer is, is a little bit... Um, so first of all, it's very prevalent in soccer, load management. And I also think that uh, the reason being that substitution rules, we have less substitution, we have more playing time. Um, so when I say very, it's probably way too much. Just because, and, and I think Alexis made a good point, you know, when, when, you, when you say load management, it... it can be such a broad topic, but people will think play minutes, and uh, which is very true in our sports because obviously we have 90 minutes. It used to be three subs, now we have five subs. Um, so it adds up very quickly. We play less games than in the chair. We play less games than in the But again, the load, the load is, a, is is a big factor. The it, it's all about you know for me load management is risk management. And then when you get into risk management, you are uh, opening uh, many, many can of worms. Um, I'm trying to make sure that load management in some, whether it's clubs, whether it's um, um, decisional minds and, and sometimes players' minds, it's become almost a culture. And that's the last thing you want to happen to your organization. Um, as well, I think someone made the remark that load management most of the time means... Uh, um, like, you know, playing more and more minutes. In the soccer world, it's definitely playing less and less, you know, to the point where sometimes can club can literally like stray away from the core, which is, you know, training to get better. Um, this is why sometimes I laugh when I have the, the, the training to recover. Um, I don't know where this one is coming from. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's a ever present part of a job of a high performance director. Uh, in soccer, not only in MLS, but all over the world. Yeah, okay, but thank you for providing your perspective. Thank you, guys. So next topic I wanted to cover was, uh, you know, in the world of sports performance, right? I mean, you guys are I mean, always busy, always running on the ground. I mean, so what are your biggest challenges in your job on a daily basis? Is it, I mean, you've got too much to do during the day. I mean, how do I prioritize everything? So from your perspective, what are your biggest challenges so who wants to stop who wants to give his take on that i'll start this time i guess okay 
Um, <clears throat> I think for me, uh, the, the biggest challenge is often time. You know, the, the players only have a finite amount of time that they're at the facility, that they're at the rink for practice or games. You have, in, you know, in the case of hockey, 20 to 25 players there. Uh, everybody, I'm sure, would benefit from some individual attention from a soft tissue standpoint, from a exercise modality standpoint, from a recovery standpoint. But, you know, when they're only there for a few hours, most of which is in meetings and media and then actually on the ice or performing, you know, there's not a lot of time to get in the touches you need with everybody. So trying to prioritize what is the most important thing I can do today, who needs work the most, who's, you know, hopefully not on the cusp of an injury or something like that, or who got hurt in a little bit in the game last night and you're a little worried about, you know, some inflammation in the joint or something like that. Where's the best place to direct your focus? And it's, it's kind of a tough game because ultimately when you choose one person, you're neglecting someone else or not choosing that yeah. person. It, it ends up being tough because you don't want to do that. You'd love to help everybody, but you know, you're only one person or if you, if you have a team, even if you have two or three people, you're only two or three people. So it's difficult to work with, uh, with everybody. So, you know, I would say for me, for sure, the number one constraint is just time and, and having the ability to spend some quality, you know, one-on-one -on -one work with someone time, whether it's from a recovery soft tissue standpoint or a strength and conditioning standpoint. Yeah. Yep. But then, then okay. Alexi, who wants I'll, to go next? I'll go ahead and go next and kind of just yep. piggyback on what Alexi mentioned. And, and he kind of also pinpointed or mentioned in, in the first question. So it's almost like a two-edged sword. Um, when you, you want to be at home because the, you're able to kind of, the athletes are able to sleep at their own home, they can eat, eat, you know, have control over their meals, stuff like that. That's great. But the downside to it is that a lot of times the athletes, as soon as the practice is over, they want to go home and spend time with their family. So they want to get out of the facility as quickly as possible. So like Alexa, you're limited to who am I going to keep on that part? So that's the downside of being at home. When you travel, of course, lack of sleep, you're not sleeping in your own bed. But the upside to that is that now you have the athletes in the hotel room, in the hotel, they have nowhere to go. So now you have a little more leeway, more time to be able to do those treatments or those sessions. So you can have like a rehab session, a recovery session, like at three, four, you know, in the evening because they're there and they're not going anywhere type of thing. So that's the upside of traveling with them. Um, the downside, of, of course, is traveling. On the other side, being at home, the upside is being home, which they're able to go home, sleep, get a proper meal, all that stuff. But then the downside is that they want to go home and be with their family if, you know, if they're, they're local family type of thing. So it's almost like a two-edged sword on that part. Yeah, uh, that makes sense, Marco. Thank you. So uh, what about you, Pierre? Yeah, first of all, I agree with Marco. You know, I mean, the uh, mastering the environment, you know, is, is one of the challenges of our work. Um, for me, you know, the higher you go, the less of a practitioner you become. Um, and especially if you, if that's the direction that you wanna you wanna go, which is my which is mine. Meaning, I like to surround myself with people that are experts in their field, mm -hmm. uh, smart people, sometimes smarter than me, you know, and that's the way to go. Um, and then obviously it leads to the next challenge, which is managing managing uh, managing humans. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, this is the thing that I have, that I had to uh, uh, adjust for sure as the staff kept expanding. Um, so it's 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 and then it goes it leads to uh, what Alexis was saying. So now it goes down to time. You know, you need to have enough time to uh, to have a, an oversight, looking at everything that is happening and making sure that everything functions. Uh, and you know, in order to do so, you have to create such a dynamics where all these people doesn't require too much of your expertise because if that's the case, you cannot you just cannot be efficient. So in a nutshell, for me, it was definitely the, the management side of things as opposed to the, the content and uh, and making sure that we're running a, a smooth and efficient uh, performance team. 
Yeah, makes sense. Thank you, Pierre. So next question is more, you know, mental health has become one of the hottest topics these days. You know, tennis star Naomi Osaka was in the news. At some point, she put out of a big tournament uh, because of mental health issues, uh, as you guys know. So uh, what's your take on the whole uh, mental health thing and how does it affect the athlete performance? Uh, do you want to go maybe, Alexi? Oh, you want to go, Pierre? I haven't here. gone first, so you know, I can, okay, I can go ahead. keep going go on ahead. this one because I'm in the process of hiring a, a, a performance, a mental performance specialist. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, Listen, the mental cell has always been has always been there. You know, it's it's a little more public now. Is that a consequence of the pandemics? I mean, is this because you know times are changing, athletes are more open, mentalities are evolving? I think it's a mix of everything. Um, personally, I've I've always been you know whether it was a, a wish of the head coach or, or or now from from me because I, I lead a performance department. I've always been surrounded by uh, um, mental experts. Uh, even if before he would be an assistant coach with with uh, you know a, psych, a sports psychology age or right now pure um, uh, performance mental performance experts, the one thing I want to say in this domain is that it's um, for sure the the brain controls the rest. So that's why it's always been an essential part, if not the crucial part of the puzzle. Um, from a high performance manager standpoint. I I really think that when it comes to picking a staff, uh, this is the uh, the biggest challenge is, is to pick a mental performance expert. I've seen in days, I've seen in times, um, players that um, would not uh, that you would think would benefit from having the presence of someone in the mm -hmm. staff that uh, eventually will not because it's almost that they could become dependent. You know, and it would be kind of productive with the other things that we try to, we try to establish. So it, it really, uh, it really is about even more when it comes to mental performance, finding the right fit of, uh, of individual for, you know, whatever environment you have going on in your club or in your organization. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you, Pierre. I agree, with, go next. Yeah. I agree with Pierre. You know, one thing that, like just how you mentioned, and there was a, a sports ecologist that I was talking to about a month ago. And she mentioned that mental health has always been there. It's, it's always been there. It just pretty much came to surface in the last maybe five, six years type of thing. And people are starting to recognize it and, and not only recognize, but acknowledge it, so to speak, type of thing. Mm -hmm. And like, like Pierre mentioned is that um, I'm a strong believer that skills would only take you so far. Your mental toughness or your mentality is going to take you further from that type of thing. You know, KB always had this thing about, who do you want in the trenches with you? When you're, when you're at war, you're in the fight. Do you want mm -hmm. that skilled sniper that can hit somebody, but when the tough, you know, he's not mentally tough, he's going to bail on you. Or do you want those mental athletes with you while you're kind of surviving? So, um, but yeah, mental health, I think is, is a bit, it's an issue. It's always been there. It's just coming to service. And I, I think um, that kind of helps you excel even further. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, before Alexis goes, there are also so many different aspects of it, you know, because again, just like when we talk about low management, oh, we're thinking playing minutes. When we talk uh, yeah. mental health, we're thinking, oh, someone we cannot perform. No, I mean, you get guys, you get guys that can be uh, struggling off the court and still perform under pressure. You know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh -huh. it's, uh, it's, it's a complete it's 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 complicated because it can mean a million different things and and therefore you really want to make sure that every every need is addressed 
and um, and it's yeah, and it's all it's all. Yeah, Alexi, yeah. I think I think you know both Pierre and Marco made a great point that I think the the one thing that. I think we need to know what we don't know and, you know, mental health, we're starting to learn more about it and it's a very complicated process, but I think what makes it so complicated is it's so individual. You know, what one person go through, goes through can be very different than someone else. And while one person might be struggling with performance anxiety, another person uh, might be, you know, struggling with how their identity relates to their sports performance. And if they're not scoring or not playing well, then they're not worth anything. Or other people might have problems at home, problems at the ring. Other uh, people might have, you know, issues with coping. And when the coach yells at them, and when the coach criticizes them, they're, they don't have the skills to take that information in and, and use it in a productive way. And that's an mm -hmm. important skill too, but everybody's a little bit different with how they do that. And I think, you know, hire, I, I, I don't necessarily envy Pierre having a higher mental X because I think it's such a hard thing to do, you know, to find someone who both fits into your staff from a philosophical perspective, but can be effective with the players because, you know, no one's going to sit down and say, hi, my name's Alexi. And then you pour their heart out. Here's my, all my problems, what I need help with. It takes time to build those relationships. And then it takes time to understand the nuances of everybody's, you know, individual nature and, and how they respond to adversity and criticism and praise and success and failure. And, and, and it's ultimately how that all intertwines that kind of builds somebody's mental toughness or mental resiliency, which we all want. We love to have hundred percent mental resilience and mentally tough players on our team. That would be great. But the reality is everybody's individual nature makes them who they are. And that's also important. So finding ways to understand their mental health more and what their mental health means to them and, and what the challenges are there with, I think is a very individualized approach. And I think that's going to be where, you know, the future of mental health in sports is going to move is trying to understand a little bit more of those individual uh, elements of the problems. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. It's, um, it's a tough nut to crack, right? But it, like you said, it's not a new topic, but it just happens to be a hot topic now. Um, so let's let's talk about technology, right? Um, you guys have been using lots of technologies, and I think already we talked about this before. But you know, there might be some amazing technologies out there. But you know what? It's 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 not going to work because of the work doesn't fit into the workflow. Uh, you know, it's it's distracted workflow. It's too expensive, or for whatever reason, right? Or there's not enough customer support, whatever it is. So. Uh, what do you think are the biggest problems with sports performance solutions these days? Or sometimes they overpromise in terms of what they can do, right? So uh, maybe Alexi, do you want to start this time? Alexi? Sure. Um, I, I think there's so much great technology coming out now. And I, I would say the biggest problem that I see is that people uh, seem to be devising solutions to problems they don't quite fully understand yet. And that's not, that's not a knock on, on the companies or the people, but, you know, looking at my job in particular, you know, with hockey, the game of hockey on the ice is so complex. Like it's, it's not as simple as just one motion over and over again or anything like that. It's an ever-changing environment. So understanding, you know, the analytics behind how a player moves, why they skated this way or that way is a really complex decision. So if you're trying to quantify their load, and you don't know, you know, what the difference is between forward skating and backward skating and pivoting on this angle and rotating this way and taking this number of shots. It's a very complicated process to, to say that, hey, I understand hockey. We just need to measure this and then we'll know this risk or we'll know this likelihood of performance. I think it's a much more complex problem than that. And companies, understandably, who are, you know, trying to have a successful business and trying to run their model will say that this will predict this and this will do this. And I think it's just they're jumping to conclusions a little bit based on a small amount of evidence that we don't quite understand yet. 
So I, I think spending more time to really look at your team or your organization, figure out what your lowest hanging fruit is, figure out an area that we need to improve upon, try to really understand that area. Because once you really understand that area, then you can either design your own solution to fix it, or you'll have a better sense of what kind of technology will fix that problem. But if you don't fully understand the problems you're trying to fix or what really is a problem and what matters, then I think you're going to end up, you know, getting a whole bunch of products that you only use half of what they're capable of doing or could be doing, or you end up recording or, you know, bothering the players with tons of tests and protocols and do this and do that and fill out this survey. And at the end of the day, if it's not actually helping you address that problem and it's not leading to better performance, more wins, then, you know, it's probably not worth what you're paying for it or the time the players and the staff are investing in it. Yeah. Thank you, Alexi. Want to go next? That was a, it's a good, it's a very good one. It's tough to follow, you know, so yeah. I'm going to paraphrase, yeah. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. Um, yeah. I mean, you have to understand why you need technology for. So I always say, if that's the case, um, then, you know, I like the, answer, the the technology to to answer that question or to to feel that need rather to create another one. And that's and that's that's what I'm looking for, and mm-hmm. therefore you need to know what your needs are. Um, and and then I think Alexi also mentioned time. Time efficiency is is the next big like crucial criteria in in, in our minds here. Is uh, you know, do we have the time to take advantage of this technology? And then the one that you know ideally can can solve this problem. Um, this is why we look for you know, and I know the travel now is is big, so we look for portable technologies. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like for, it's everything goes together. Just, you just have to know what you're looking for, you know, and then address that need before moving to the next one, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the last thing you want, because if you don't, you end up with whether and you know like useless technologies or or sometimes just a just a traffic jam of different technologies that, that overlaps each other. And that's the last thing you yeah, want to know true, in a true. successful organization. Yep. Thanks, Pierre. No, no, I mean, I agree with both uh, Pierre and Lexi. I mean, the first one, like, like uh, Lexi mentioned, is trying to find out what issues you're trying to solve and then going mm-hmm. out there and finding what, what company, what device, what tracking system, whatever it is, is going to help you uh, solve those issues or address or address those issues type of thing versus the other way around. Most people are like, hey, this is a great company. Let's try to fit it into us. And I think that's where teams get getting an issue where they're trying to force something into them versus the other way around. Hey, let's see what's going mm-hmm. on with us. What do we need? What is our issues? What do, we, what do we need to solve or address? Then let's go find out, you know, which company is going to help us on the part. The second one, obviously, is compliance from athletes. Um, I think it'll, both Alexi and Pierre mentioned it. If you dilute the waters too much, the players, you, they may lose interest. And like, now nah, we don't want to mess with you. We don't want to mess with that type of thing. So you want to make sure you get compliance from the, from the athletes and kind of go a little bit like that type of thing. Um, you know, the, the big example sometimes I, I give to people is like, hey, yeah, you may want to go buy a, a nice Ferrari two-seat sports car because that looks nice, looks great. But if you have a family of three kids and stuff like that, how are you going to fit that family in that two-seater car and be able to travel around with it? When it comes to, t- when it comes to time, when it comes to time, again, I mean, you know, we started by talking about it uh, um, like minutes ago. In a high-performance position, you are being bombarded by yep. by by technology companies. Then, and if you want to do your due diligence, it becomes almost impossible to do the rest of your job. So, uh, again, knowing what you're looking for and go get it. Um, with you know, in the meantime, keeping an open mind, what's out there. Right. It's, it's we all agree is the way to go. Yeah. Right. Do you guys use any type of biometrics besides um, technology, like with live analysis for cortisol or anything like that? No, we don't. What I used to use. No, no um, we, we don't. 
Okay. A red a red bull. We used to measure. We uh, we used to measure. Um, we used to measure the um, the CK every morning. Um, but see, yeah, and the guys were used to it. They would just do the pinch. Um, yep. But not here. No, not in the US. Well, I guess the, the the last question then was, uh, among all the emerging technologies out there, what do you find are the most interesting ones, and why? Define emerging. Yeah. That's the, uh, <laughs> The, the one that we're already using or, you know, the one that, you know, we have an eye on. Yeah. Um, Good question. So I get, it's, it's kind of interesting though, with the emerging, I guess also kind of goes, depends on what I'm trying to look for and what am I, what am I testing? How am I progressing the athlete? What am I, what am I trying to use? Like the person that pops in my head, if I'm rehabbing an athlete and I want to make sure that they're using the proper muscle load or muscle symmetry type of thing and they're compensating, there's, there's, I think there's two companies out there. One's called Strive that uses uh, EMG sensors built in, into their shorts. I think Anthos is the other one type of thing. So if I'm rehabbing an athlete, I want them to make sure that they use the proper glute activation, the proper hamstring uh, contraction, um, then that's what I would kind of use. So it, it also kind of depends on what, what I'm trying to do as far as technology. If I'm working with a track athlete and I'm trying to track their, 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 their movements, um, their speed, maybe like a GPS system type thing. So, so, so again, same thing. I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not a big, when it comes to, to this, I see it, all this as far as different tools in a major toolbox. Again, what you, what you're looking for, what you're testing, what are you trying to um, improve? And then you can kind of use it. So I, I personally don't, I don't feel like there's one that's like, Hey, this is going to be for everything. So um, it's tough to pick one. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's almost like you, for me, you know, I think I mentioned it before. I like, I like Kanga Tech that I've been using a lot lately. Um, uh, for the reason that I mentioned before, you know, it's portable, there is compliance. It can mm-hmm. solve more than, more than one problem. And then the one thing that I would say, you know, if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm in technology is you should never, just like you should never underestimate the, the, um, the power of the video when it comes to coaching, you know, you can never underestimate the power of a screen when it comes to technology. And uh, the, the second I saw um, how it was working and the, and also the ability for the player to be uh, self-sufficient, you know, and, and, and functioning on their own, uh, knowing what to do, you know, this promotes also, um, you know, I'm talking about any kind of technology that promotes um, initiative, you know, I, I think I think these are the ones that I have found um, or the most easily implemented on our end. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure you answered the question, but um, yeah. For us, uh, for us in Pittsburgh, we recently purchased um, one of the 1080 Quantum and 1080 Sprint sure? from, uh, yep, yep, yep. from and uh, from a rehab perspective, you know, I think we had a lot of success with that. Just being able to, uh, you know, to, to work with the athlete and, and measure their response, both eccentrically, concentrically, different speeds, yep. different, different ranges of motion, different patterns. And um, we're actually able to take the sprint onto the ice and do some forward accelerations and sort of analyze left leg versus right leg in a, in a lower body injury rehab. So I think that's a pretty cool piece of technology. Just, just gives you some more information to help build up that, uh, to build up what you know about that athlete. But I remember speaking with, um, Matt Jordan, a professional up in Calgary, Canada. I don't know if either of you know Matt, but doing some, he's done a lot of great ACL research and rehab with the Canadian Alpine ski team. And he talked about, you know, the usefulness of, of force plates and counter movement jumps, but that they're also kind of useless if you don't also have the video or the motion capture to go with it to see the movement strategies that they're incorporating. And I see that as kind of, 
you know, similar to what you said, Marco, multiple pieces put together. Like I would love to know, you know, what an athlete or what a hockey player's body goes through more when they're on the ice, the implications of decelerations, accelerations, turns, things like that. But, you know, that's going to be a combination of, you know, uh, GPS or RFID technology, heart rate technology, some sort of muscle activation technology, maybe some sort of, you know, uh, sensor or foot pad in the skate to, to really create a picture and truly understand the nature of the physical demand is going to require a lot of inputs. Now, there's no system yet that's going to incorporate all of that. You have to work with four or five separately and still make a lot of assumptions that you don't even know are going to be true. So if I had to sort of call emerging or future tech, you know, understand the demands of the sport are, again, extremely complicated. So technology can help with that. But at this point, it's still integrating a lot of different pieces and making a lot of assumptions to try to guide you down the, re- the, the best path. But yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully we can start to learn a little bit more about our sports, you know, by combining some of those really good technologies like a, a Strive with, uh, you know, a Connexon or a First Beat or a Catapult or something like that. Yeah, no, no, you're 100% right. You hit the nail, the nail on the head type of thing. One of the big things that I love to do is whatever technology that I can use it in an uncontrolled environment when they're out there in the field on the ice, because that's where injuries, that's where the issues occur. In a controlled environment, the athlete is in complete control. So you can kind of, you can kind of flush and do what you want, but in an uncontrolled environment, and just like you mentioned, kind of see what are the parameters, what are the dynamics when they're out there playing and they're moving in their environment. That's what's, what actually is going to happen. That's what's going to help you um, uh, detect any issues or, or, or trends, I would say. Obviously, you can't predict or risk. Either trends or risk, I use the two words I like to use. All righty, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.